Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Oscar Watch Podcast, the podcast where we look back at past Best Picture winners for your reconsideration. I am your host, Stephen Buja, and joining me once again, the one and only Amy Thomason. Amy, we have a special episode today. How are you? Ew. Um, it's special for a couple of reasons, and I'm happy that we're doing this movie, yet sad for why this movie finally came up on our list yes uh for those who don't know though i don't know who that would be uh the world recently lost the one the only the great the great mustache burt reynolds at the age of of 82 uh worked in hollywood a very long time long career of a lot of fun movies but he had received only one Academy Award nomination for Best Supporting Actor, and that is this week's edition of Should Have Been a Contender, and that is the <laughs> 1997 film Boogie Nights, and we are not doing this alone. We are bringing in the big guns, Mr. Shahir Dowd from the only podcast about movies and former guest host on this show as well on several episodes, returns to bring his knowledge of this film to the conversation. Shahir! How are you doing? Thank you. Uh, thanks for having me back. I'm not sure how uh, how much I want to put on my resume that I know way too much about uh, a movie about the 70s porn industry uh, is something I want to like <laughs> advertise too There's much. There's nothing wrong with that. There's yeah. nothing wrong with that. No, no. And to be on, to be perfectly honest with you, I have seen. I, I was so super excited to do this movie. Uh, I have seen this movie way too many times and is healthy probably. And it was yeah, it is sad to 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 uh, hear that uh, one of the great mustaches has left the uh, left the planet. Um, yeah. All I can say right now is uh, uh, we need Tom Selleck to hold on for dear life because we need that mustache in the world. We absolutely do. So, um, well, he was such a movie star in the classic yeah. sense of yes. the word, and it's funny because you know everybody has a type. He's not my type. He's very- <laughs> alpha male hairy you know the whole the whole burt reynolds look is not really my type however he was still sexy oh yeah oh yeah (laughs) absolutely like his and it wasn't just how he looked i mean he wasn't a conventional like a paul newman or like a robert redford you know what i mean although i believe he was always offered roles that paul newman or robert redford turned down he's just so manly and he also had that voice yeah yeah like he just he was so cool he was so cool and it is really sad he was also on one of my favorite episodes of the golden girls right himself and it's he's so great he's so great i think in the industry what they call it is uh he carries it well Whatever, whatever it is he's got, you know, like like you said, he's not the most handsome. I mean, he's pretty, pretty damn handsome as well. He I think is him and, handsome, yeah. but not, yeah, yeah. You know, not, not, not conventionally. He, the man has, uh, the man has charisma for days, and he doesn't. He's not in necessarily great movies. This one, perhaps, being uh, an exception, but he is very often the best part of whatever movie he is in, and it is clear that first things first, no matter what, Paul Newman. Was having a uh, Burt Reynolds was having a good time. Paul Newman was probably having a good time. Burt Reynolds was having a great time on set, and he just uh, that, that's what he wanted. He just he just wanted to make movies and uh, have some fun. And I like to think he did that, 
But I think a lot of his fans would argue with you. Like you might say, and I haven't seen it because I'm a horrible, horrible podcast host. I've never seen Smokey and the Bandit. But let me tell you, that movie brought a great deal of joy to many people. Almost everyone I know of that generation has seen that movie like 700 times. And they're like, it's a great movie. So it might not be artistic boogie nights, but I think many would consider that to be a great movie. He was great in the best little whorehouse in Texas. Yep. He's yeah. great in a lot of things. He's great yeah. in a lot of things. Yeah. I I read a, a a great movie. I read uh, I read an article uh, uh, that John Borman wrote uh, about casting Burt Reynolds in uh, Deliverance, and and you know he said something along the lines that Burt Reynolds was clearly not the first choice. Jack Nicholson was. Um, but there was no way Jack Nicholson was going to do the movie at, at the price that they were offering, so they eventually got Burt Reynolds. And he said something along the lines, because it was Burt Reynolds and John Voight in Deliverance, and he said something along the lines that um, uh, John Voight kind of, I, I think they didn't get on very well because John Voight was a serious actor and he mm-hmm. wanted to be serious about this role and he was, doing, you know, he was trying to hone his performance in. He hated doing autographs and all that sort of jazz, whereas Burt Reynolds just lived for that side of the, the business. You know, he loved, he said he could give autographs all day, and his, his, his entire approach to the movie, or to any movie he was in, was how do I best not look like an idiot while I'm doing this role? Um, and I think, you know, like that, that, that idea that you had, which was that, you know, like he's just trying to have fun. Um, I think it even carries into Boogie Nights quite a lot as well. It's like, how do I do this, this sort of ridiculous character you know, this guy who wants to make artistic porn and not look like a fool while I'm doing it. He's not trying to, he's not trying to like aim really high and make a statement. He's just trying to aim to a point where he doesn't feel foolish for doing that. Yeah. And I think that's his entire approach to acting. It's great. Um, I think that should, should be absolutely... our approach to life, really. Like, how do, like just whatever, what, how do I do this podcast without looking like an idiot? Okay, I'm going <laughs> to adopt the Burt Reynolds style, grow that mustache out and call it a win just have fun doing it for 50 years <laughs> uh, you gotta watch the cannibal run outtakes is all i gotta say at this point oh celebrate. I, I should check that it's yeah. dom de louise and they're just having the best time and i loved it just it was so heartwarming it really was boogie nights came out in 1997 written and directed by paul thomas anderson his second film starring and uh it's quite a list mark Wahlberg. Burt Reynolds, Julianne Moore, Heather Graham, John C. Riley, Don Cheadle, William H. Macy, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Philip Baker Hall, Alfred Molina, Thomas Jane, a bunch of others I have undoubtedly missed out. A lot of those, oh yeah, I know that guy from that thing that one time. Uh, the INDB synopsis says, It is a story of a young man's adventures in the Californian pornography industry of the late 1970s and early 1980s, which I think doesn't quite cover it enough, but... That's where you two come in because Shahir, you've already mentioned that you have seen this movie way too many times. Do you have like a specific number, perhaps? Oh God, I it's one of those movies that I think I would probably have watched every year at least once uh, since the time I've seen it. I'm, I'm like, and it's an, it's another one of those movies that I think I've owned on um, DVD and Blu-ray. So I've kind of just it's one of the ones that I just have to have in the media that I'm using at this particular moment. So. Um, uh, it's also one of the ones that I kind of keep in the library as like, oh, this is great filmmaking. So I just always want to have this, uh, accessible at any moment. In case, uh, in case of, in case of bad Marvel movie, you just like break the glass and put up Boogie Nights. (laughs) It's usually for when I'm making a movie. It's when I'm making something. Yeah. It's like, I break the glass just to be like, okay, 
I need to kind of center myself, so I'll watch Boogie Nights. Um, and I and I always want to have it like close by. Oh, very nice, very nice. Right, Amy, it you have a similar with the Boogie Stagecoach. Oh. How many times have I seen it? I have seen it. I'm pretty much on Shahir's level as far as knowledge and viewings of this movie. I remember watching it. You know, very few movies where you remember where you were the first time you saw it. Yeah. I remember watching it at my friend's aunt's beach house down the Jersey shore, ocean city with my friend Frank. And we watched it in her little like alcove living room. And God, it was amazing. And kind of hoping that no one would come around while we were watching. <laughs> right. Especially yeah. some of the earlier scenes. You're like, Oh, this is yeah. awkward. Yeah. Wait, is that Julianne Moore? What are you laughing? Okay. Yeah. So, and uh, I believe this is also on the Amy Thompson top 100. It yeah. is. What it's is the rank? That- where does it rank? I, I don't have the list on me right now, but it's high up there, uh, it's correct? It's not in the top 10, but it's on my list of, like, this movie is just perfect. Okay. That from beginning and everything in the middle, thumbs up. All right. Well, I will have to uh, be the, the odd duck out and say, I've only ever seen this movie once. Wow. Back in college, I don't, and honestly, that was 17 years ago, so watching this again was kind of like watching it for the first time, which is a feeling I enjoy, but afterwards, I went, ah, I should watch this more. I just, it's one of those things like, I've seen so many, I've seen all the other PTA movies. Why, did, why, didn't, why haven't I seen this one more often? Uh, so, yeah, this, uh, I'm, gonna, I'm really going to step back. I'm going to ask questions. I'm going to toss them out there. I'm just going to let you fight over the scraps more or <laughs> less. Um, which does, uh, just a quick, uh, let's talk about, because we're, we're I don't want to just like bog down the conversation of the actual movie with conversation about PTA himself, the uh, the uh, the director and writer of this. So where do where do you both stand on like have you seen a lot of his uh, oeuvre, and uh, where would this film stand uh, in that very 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 good list of movies? I. Probably haven't seen as much as you. I have seen Boogie Nights. I saw Magnolia in the theater when it came out when I was in college. And I saw There Will Be Blood. There Will Be Blood. And it's interesting that you said that you'd only seen this movie one time. I feel, and that surprised me for many reasons. One is that I, of course, have seen it a lot. But two, I feel like a lot of his movies, for me, of the ones that I've seen... I think Boogie Nights is one of the few that I can really enjoy on repeat viewings. I saw There Will Be Blood. I thought it was really good, but there, but I've never been able to sit through it a second time. And I think I own it on DVD. Magnolia, I've never been able to sit through a second time. But Boogie Nights, it's the only one that for I think it's his best movie of the three that I've seen. Okay. Easily, easily his best movie. There are parts in Oh, and I saw The Master. Oh yeah, masters. And I saw, and I went and I saw the master in the theater. And I went in thinking it was gonna like blow my mind, just like Boogie Nights. There were also a lot of there were long parts in There Will Be Blood. There were parts in the master where I was kind of like, okay, can we uh, get this moving a little bit? Okay. So you so, so maybe not the most uh, you know haven't seen, haven't seen a lot. This is the most. I would I, w- I would agree. This is probably one of his most accessible. Certainly, his most successful is the one that put him on the map. Shahir, I take it you have you probably own all of his filmography on at least some medium. Yeah, I think the only two I don't own uh, is Inherent Vice and Sydney uh, or Hard Eight, his first film. Okay. Um, 
but I've seen every single one of his movies multiple times, um, the, uh, including his short films. The only thing I think I haven't seen is uh, Janoon, the documentary he just did um, in India. But uh, I, I actually, but I went to Radiohead last uh, last month, and I got oh, to see screw Janoon you. perform sorry. live. I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm jealous. <laughs> so I yeah. got to see Janoon perform live, so I was kind of introduced to it that way. Um, I love Paul Thomas Anderson. Um, I think, you know, um, Scorsese for me was slightly uh, out of my age range in terms of uh, I, I, I caught... I watched Boogie Nights before I saw Goodfellas, for example, and obviously there's a big influence between those two movies. Um, yes. You could argue Boogie Nights is kind of the West Coast version of Goodfellas um, or, or Casino, that like style that, that Scorsese, Scorsese pioneered. Well, Scorsese kind of brought to the mainstream, um, but, I, but, but I definitely saw Boogie Nights before all of that. So um, P.T. Anderson was someone I watched kind of as I came up as a filmmaker, as I started developing as a filmmaker. Um, and I, what I, I think what I love about him, it's, it, where, which makes it really difficult to rank his films, is uh, it's something that I think all great artists uh, in any medium have, which is the ability to evolve over time. And if you look at the evolution of P.T. Anderson, starting with uh, Sydney Boogie Nights Magnolia, which have this sort of, Scorsese, Robert Altman kind of 70s feel to them, or, you know, like yeah. that sort of... Um, expansive cast, very, expansive like, cast. music, very well yeah. done. Yeah. Mo you know, like, really music and montage influence kind of storytelling. Um, and then he kind of switches gear into something more surreal, like Punch Drunk Love, and then eventually gets into something that's very austere, like uh, There Will Be Blood in the Master. Um, and I think, you know, what I love is that there's this sort of continual evolution of things that he wants to do and try that mean that it's like, I, I don't really, I, 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 I find it difficult to rank his films. I think I'd put them more on a spectrum. Um, okay. I remember reading, uh, when I was younger, uh, he said that he felt that the best movie he ever made and will ever make was Magnolia. I think he said that just as he'd made Punch Drunk Love. Um, and, and I was like, yes. oh man, I kind of love Punch Drunk Love a lot more than Magnolia, even though I think Magnolia is magnificent. And then when There Will Be Blood came out, uh, it's funny, I'm seeing There Will Be Blood tomorrow night. Um, it, the, the, the New York Philharmonica is doing a, um, a performance of it where they're, they're doing a live orchestra. You need to come to uh, New York, Amy, seriously. You need, it's, it's, what? you need to come to New York. I'm just saying, I, like, there's a hurricane, I, you just like pack the kids up and just just come. And well, just, the funny thing is this move. is the second time I've done that. The second time I've gone to like a live orchestra performance of There Will Be Blood. Oh, I guess the orchestra. Wait, is, there, is, there any, is there any music in the first half hour or just no talking in the first half hour? No, there's a, there's a heavy, heavy score um, by Radiohead. Um, Johnny Greenwood. The, yeah, Johnny Greenwood. Okay. It's a really, really uh, deep, thick score. Yeah. Yes, Don't be jealous, guys. I know you all live in fancy schmancy New York, but uh, the okra strike is coming up in a couple weeks. Oh, so. well, that sounds. Uh, yeah. Sounds sounds like a, there's a lot of deep fried food. Yeah. There. Okay. You know, I will. I will. I will take that. I'll take that. And uh, we're, big into, we're big into vegetable and food festivals down here. We've got a peanut festival and okra strut. Yeah. Okra okay. strut. And it's it's an okra strut. Thank you. you. Like walk with it. We so, will talk. We will talk about that uh, later. And we will so talk about. And of course. Of yeah. And of course, folks, we will. 
obviously discuss There Will Be Blood at a later date as one of our uh, four-year reconsiderations for that great, great year 2007. But we are going to take it back 10 years to discuss the Academy Awards, the 70th annual Academy Awards of that year where a special, special movie won Best Picture and talk about, well, Amy will talk about why that should not have been the case right after this. You know, Bert, Bert is uh, Bert's a legend as well. It was amazing having that experience of Boogie Nights with him. You know, it was one of those things where I think it was tough for him. He should talk about somebody who should have won the Oscar. He yeah. should have definitely won the Oscar. And I think he kind of hurt himself because he didn't get the movie. He didn't understand it. And I think it was just hard for him because, you know, here's a guy who was the biggest box office star for over a decade. Yeah. And all of a sudden he was doing something that I think he felt was a little dirty and low. And I was like, no, Bert, this is this is special. Even when we saw the movie at the, uh, at the New York uh, Film Festival, he was like, I don't know why they like this movie, but let's just pretend we like it too. I was like, I love this movie. I'm right. I like, think it's, yeah, it's fantastic. So he never, he ne- I remember reading yeah. stuff about that. He never really got what, what, no. what he was. No, and I think by the time, you know, he started getting all his accolades, it was kind of too late and they tried to turn it around. But that's so interesting. But how good was Robin Williams, too? So who won the award that year? Yes. Yeah. I don't remember what he won the award good for. Good Will Hunting. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. Oh, that was that year. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that was incredible. Boogie Nights was not nominated for Best Picture at the 70th Annual Academy Awards on April 23rd, 1998. But it was was nominated for three additional awards that night. One being, of course, Best Supporting Actor to Mr. Burt Reynolds, his one and only nomination ever in his 50-year career. Uh, He would ultimately lose to Robin Williams, who uh, co-starred in... Goodwill Hunting. Amy, you have thoughts on that? Go, please. 60 seconds. Burt Reynolds was robbed. Thank you. Okay. Wow. Nice and short. Nice and short. I'm saving, I'm, 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 I'm saving my, my fiery passion and anguish for the real argument, which is about to come. Right, well, no, we're, we're, we'll talk about, so it was also nominated for Best Supporting Actress, Julianne Moore, who lost to, uh, very, very, I'm going to say rightfully so, to Kim Basinger in L.A. Confidential. Great movie. What? Great movie. It's a great. It's a great movie. We are going to. We are going to talk about most of the movies in 1997 eventually. Kim Basinger was great in *L.A. Confidential*. I loved it. And plus, and plus, guess what? Julianne Moore would later win for *Away from Her* the big prize. So, you know, okay. So she, you know, she still got one. And uh, finally, the the best original screenplay from Paul Thomas Anderson, who was a multi-nominee been nominated many times has never won has never won lost two and i do like being able to say academy award winners matt damon and ben affleck for writing for writing not for acting for goodwill hunting <laughs> and amy is just shaking 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 her head oh she looks she looks very upset she here is like i don't like what am I signed on to? Oh God! It's like the, the... I'm, I'm watching the movie right now. To be honest, <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so 1997, as some of you uh, may remember, was the year that a small little movie that could did ultimately make a billion dollars. The first time that ever happened, and ran away with the Oscars. We had discussed that very film on a previous episode. Cel- uh, not celebrating commemorating the anniversary of the event that the movie was inspired on and that film of course is james cameron's titanic a film that is not good however who is the i well i understand the academy for giving it the best picture that year 
Amy is very mad at me. She has threatened to walk away from the show for that view. So, Amy, what do you think about Titanic? It is such a god-awful piece of schlock. <laughs> I've never been... I love Kate Winslet. Kate Winslet's, like, my girl. <laughs> Along with Amy Adams. Like, I love them both so much. I was embarrassed watching that movie, thinking, girls gotta eat. That's why she had to do this movie. Because she is so much better than that piece of shit movie. <laughs> there are so many moments in that movie that are so cringeworthy and awful. The love story is so stupid. It's like, it's just bad. And I knew, just like with the movie Lincoln, which, yes, Lincoln is a better movie, so comfort yourself Please. knowing that. When she comes onto the ship and she goes, to everybody else, it was a wonderful ship, but to me, it was a slave ship bringing me back to America in chains. I literally was like, for fuck's sake. <laughs> yeah. 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 And it only got worse. It only got worse. The fact that the iceberg looked like a big piece of like paper mache in a high school production <laughs> thing until they crashed into it and then like ice fell off of it. And I was like, Wow, it's was someone above the big piece of paper mache and just threw the ice onto the ship. Nobody called her Molly Brown back then. Molly Brown came across later in a 1950s movie with Debbie Reynolds called The Unsinkable Molly Brown. No one called her Molly back then, James Cameron. Maybe do a little homework. Her giving the guy the finger as they're going up the Amy, elevator. Amy, I am going to I am going to have and we have to cut you off. I'm going to, we, we will we'll, really we will save it. We'll save a special. Awesome. We'll have a special episode for you where you just complain about Titanic. Uh, it it rightfully did awesome. not win. I, was it even nominated for best original screenplay? Definitely did not deserve to win. All sorts of loads of problems, but you can you know it's basic old school, wild, extravagant filmmaking, and the Academy really likes that. The competition that year: Titanic, as good as it gets; The Full Monty, Goodwill Hunting, L.A. Confidential. It's it's a tough year that one for me. Uh, I can certainly see why Titanic won it. Um, yeah, I would have, uh, and as good as it gets is a, is a movie that gets bitter every time you watch it. I haven't seen it in years, but I remember loving that film. Jack Nicholson, uh, uh not one of his three Academy Award winning performances, phenomenal in that. Uh, smart, smart, smart script. Great movie. Yeah, it has one of my favorite lines of all time in any screenplay, which was, uh, how do you write women so well? And he says, I take a man and then I take away accountability and responsibility. Yeah, reason, <laughs> reason, reason, and accountability. Reason like, and accountability. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's okay. great. It's great. So, it's one of the few years where, yeah, back when you had five movies and you could see all the best picture winners. Titanic, no. <laughs> Not even. I wouldn't even nominate it. I get that it's a big splashy movie, but to say that you know, because it was big and splashy, sort of is like, well, let's get you know, like nominating a David Lean film. This and is not David, David Lean. Lean. David Lean would have been nominated. I, I it's a, it is a much bigger conversation not, that I would yeah. Yeah. David Lean would have made a better film. He would have had Robert Bull write the screenplay and it would have been amazing. <laughs> I digress. There are there's one movie on that list that is on the Amy Thomas and Top 100 which is as good as it gets. I probably would have voted for that. I also really liked The Full Monty. I think it's, I like those fresh original movies. And I think it's because this year there were a lot of movies that fall into a category that I like, which is the kind of down and out misfits coming together. 
and they did it in as good as it gets. And James L. Brooks, I do not think gets enough credit as a screenwriter. He's an excellent, excellent, excellent screenwriter. Very strong, great story, well acted, totally my kind of thing. The Full Monty is very sweet, and I love the actors who are in it. They've all done a whole bunch of other things. Yeah. But no, Good Will Hunting, I think is a real guy kind of a movie. I think you need to be a guy to really understand that because a lot of things that I didn't like about it, maybe a man would understand better than I would. But it also was Miramax and probably had a big push from... He, he who shall not be named. Yeah. Shall not be named. Yes. Boogie Nights was nominated for three Academy Awards. That seems a little light. Uh, what are we, are we thinking there should be... Should it have been nominated for a couple other things? Some tech awards? Yes. Are there any other acting awards that it should have gotten? Amy, hit, hit us with one, then we'll ask you here, and we'll just go, go, go from there. Just one uh, best picture? I mean, well, besides best picture. Okay, we know that. We know... We know that's why... That is literally why yes. we're here. It's in the episode. Start, I'll start... I'll start on the lower rung then. Best art direction. Okay, art direction, mm-hmm. very nice. Uh, it's uh, well, would it have won it against LA Confidential? I, I said, think it was good. I think I, th- I, th- I think I, if I recall, in most, in nearly all uh, tech categories for this year, it's Titanic. would it would it have yeah. won against Titanic? It, yeah. I think it won what, eleven awards or something like that. None of which were acting, so I had to pick up all the techs and director. Of course. Uh, so we have Art Direction. Shahir, anything you think it should, be, should have been nominated for? Uh, clearly Best Director. It should have been nominated for Best Director. Yes. Um, without One, a first doubt. Of, and, first and of many. Yeah, for, first, uh, of, first of many. Although, um, yeah, it's, and it's also the film that I kind of remember most from that year, I think. So, um, yeah, our, uh, Best, best Art Director. I mean, if, if, they, if there was a category for Best uh best use of pre-recorded music it would probably win that <laughs> i wrote that down in my notes too <laughs> uh i probably would have given it that um yeah no it's i mean and best editing it should have won for best editing oh uh, it would yeah oh god yes oh yeah. the last the last hour of this movie which we'll get into That's i think it's just it just sings uh, like nothing else really yeah it's, it's, it's beautiful it's beautiful the issue is, is that its style, you know, um, is very reverential to another film that, you know, that everyone knows as well. So it's, it's a little bit harder to, to kind of, uh, to give awards to a film that's basically aping another film style. Mm. Goodfellas? So, yeah, Goodfellas. Okay, yeah, all right. Which, yeah, I mean, it even has uh, those, those it's great open... Which is madness. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I've... I've I would also say cinematography. Uh, there are these great long tracking shots, very reminiscent of Scorsese, that are just insane. I was like, I don't know. Like, I'm so like, how do you do it? Like, oh, you're in the pool, and out of the pool, like, what is? I like, I understand like conceptually how it happens, but yet it looks so good. Uh, yeah. And uh, Mark Wahlberg, best actor. Totally. You hear? Hmm. I'm 50-50 on that. I like I, I really like Mark Wahlberg in this movie. Um, I think this is a good example of uh, the right actor for the right role. Um, I'm not sure he's, uh, you know, he's my favorite actor in the world. Um, I guess I get, no, but, but then would he get it for this particular film? Maybe, I guess. Um, yeah. I'm not too sure about that one. 
Um, I, I would still think I still think Jack Nicholson would have won, but you could swap out Peter Fonda for Yuli's Gold. It's a fine film, yeah. but uh, you know, Mark wanted to think. But I think well, I think you give it to Mark. I'll Mark. Find when this came out. Now this was my freshman year of college, mm. so he had just done his whole Marky Mark bit. This uh-huh. was yeah. his first real. I mean, he had been in like the Basketball Diaries with Leonardo DiCaprio, and he was good in that. But this was like jaw on the floor. That first scene with his mother, played by Joanna Gleason, who is in the original Into the Woods as Baker's wife. Sorry. But like my jaw dropped on the floor. I was like, this is the same guy that was in the Calvin Klein ads. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, that's amazing. I also would have nominated it for best makeup and hair design and whoever designed the phallus at the end of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all remember it? That was yeah. a big moment. The so only that- the only prop Marky Mark has ever kept of a movie. He's, he's like, I'm, ta- I'm, I'm taking that. I'm like, of course you do. Obviously. <laughs> I love him for that. And <laughs> definitely makeup and hair design. The sen- and the- then possibly best supporting actor for one of the other guys. John C. Riley, I think, is always great. Well, yeah. although although Alfred Molina has the one scene that's amazing, and I'm like, you're just having so much fun. Yeah, <laughs> William H Macy as well. I think kind of like oh, you know, in a couple of scenes, God. but he really, he really uh, sells it. Oh yeah, it was the movie that for me, and I had seen Sense of a Woman and um, the Talented Mr. Ripley, but this was the first movie where I saw Philip Seymour Hoffman and was like, who? is that guy right because he's yeah. amazing yeah and, and then so you look weird. back you're like oh he was in all these other movies that i saw but he talk about a guy who i still get sad i still get sad when i remember that he's dead yeah yeah and uh william h Mays, uh, philip seymour hoffman himself would later win for capote as well which, for best actor which is a fine movie but yeah you know i prefer i prefer him in mission impossible 3 from that year personally but Hey, that's just me. My favorite Mission Impossible. We will not talk about Mission Impossible, although I could and really want to. What we (laughs) will talk about, however, after this short break is Boogie Nights. So stick around. Is that it takes a lot of a good old American green stuff to make one of these things. You know what I mean? I mean, you know, you've got your camera, you've got your film. You got your lights, you got your sound, you got your lab costs, you got your developing, you got your syncing, you got your editing. Before you turn around, you spent maybe twenty, twenty-five, $30,000 on a movie. That's a lot of money. But you're asking this. But if you make a good one, there's practically no end to how much money you can make. Have you seen Jack's house? No. He will. He'll see it. You got maybe 15, 20 guys standing around just making sure that your lighting is right. But you can work out in the morning, you can work out at noon, you can work out at night. Doesn't matter. If you don't have those juices flowing down there in the Mr. Torpedo area, in the fun zone. But you got to get the people in the theater, you know, you need the big dicks, the big tits. Uh-oh, here we go. How do you keep them in the theater after they've come? With beauty and with acting. No, I understand. You've got to get them in the theater, you know? you got to keep the seats full. 
but I don't want to make a film. Where they show up, they sit down, they jack off, and they get up and they get out before the story ends. It is my dream, it is my goal, it is my idea to make a film. That the story just sucks them in. And when they spurt out that joy juice, they just gotta sit in it. They can't move until they find out how the story ends. You know, film like that and I understand you know they have to make films I bait them myself you know that are a few laughs everybody fucks their brains out and that's fine but it's my dream to make a film that is true and right and dramatic so I am not one to judge about watching a movie way too many times even though i've seen it many times before i have lord of the rings in that too many times account so i guess to open this up lady gentlemen what is it about this movie that makes you keep coming back to it at least once a year if not more like why has it endured these 21 years Hmm. Uh, amy do you want to go first I think for a story to really be enduring, for me to continue to go back to it, it needs to start with the story and the characters. And what hit me the first time I saw this is that Paul Thomas Anderson is a genius at, he's really mastered that having a ton of characters, but he doesn't have so many that you can't really focus or get involved in a story which is why, uh, what's that, Love Actually? Mm-hmm. So many people, I should love that movie, but I don't because I think there's way too many characters, so you really don't get emotionally invested in any of them. In this movie, I think you do, and I feel like the way that he tells the story is it gets in-depth enough, but without being overt or heavy-handed about it, and it's it's just so masterfully done. Like I love that... Obviously, the whole movie could just focus on Mark Wahlberg. It could just be about him. It could be him, more time with his family, and then him rising to fame. And you could take out Buck. You could take out Don Cheadle's character. Mm-hmm. You could take out Philip Seymour Hoffman. And still tell the story of Eddie Adams, who becomes Dirk Diggler. But he doesn't. And so at the end, when Don Cheadle's the, at the donut place and it's getting robbed and it closes in on his face you're totally invested in this guy because you've been rooting for him the entire movie even though it's not like he devoted so much time to his story and so you do you care about all these characters and then on top of that you've got the music you've got the great directing all of that stuff but you care about the characters and that's what makes a classic and that's the literally I think that's literally the thing that makes us come back to all these things. All the plots, all of the, the stakes in the world can't be a very well done character and people you care about. Not, and people yeah. who care about each other as well. Shahir, there's not too many characters. There's not just many. enough. And you get just enough involved in all of them. Yes indeed. Shahir, why do you keep yeah. coming back? So I keep coming back to it for a number of reasons. Again, as a filmmaker, I think it's a completely awe-inspiring film for a couple of reasons. One, Mark Wahlberg was something, uh, not Mark Wahlberg, P.T. Anderson was something in the, he was something like 27 when he made this movie, which just infuriates me to no end. <laughs> but uh, other than that, you know, like it, 
you recognize genius when you see it, and this is clearly an example of that. Even though uh, he is kind of riffing on, uh, I think, a triptych of Scorsese, Altman, and Jonathan Demme, he's still managing to kind of fuse them all together into something that is uniquely his own. If you look at a film um, like Blow, the um, I think it's the Ted Demme film. Yeah, with, um, uh, with Cruz Depp, and Don't Join Up. Johnny Depp, which I think is a real riff on Goodfellas. That's a film that feels derivative of Goodfellas. Whereas this, which is a riff on Goodfellas and, and that Scorsese and Altman style, never feels like it's derivative of those films. It feels like it's entirely its own beast. So there's this, uh, uh, you know, understanding and, and just recognition of how masterfully this thing is crafted from such a young filmmaker at, the, at a tender age. The, th the second thing is, I think, you know, uh, just bouncing off the idea of characters, the, the, film, the film is unwieldy. It moves in so many different directions, and it has it almost has no clear running through line of things of events that are happening that sort of connect to each other. You know, like we're kind of in this era, and then video comes along, and then we're in this era, and then they're trying out you know something on video, and then there's a drug deal gone wrong. It, it, none of those things really implicitly connect to each other narratively. They're almost like episodes in this entire sort of. Uh, story of this of this of this one person's life you know obviously you could say it's the rise and fall of dirk diggler right. but it's more of a but, it's more of a this happens so this happens not this happens therefore this therefore happens this, yeah exactly this happens i've listened to your episodes before yeah there you go <laughs> um and then but but the thing that connects all of that is this this really strong thematic idea of family hmm. and you know the film is about uh the creation of a family and how all members of that family are important and 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 hold on to each other. And you know, the beginning even if you took away the idea that this is the rise and fall of Mark Wahlberg, this is really about to me it's about the creation of this family within within an industry and within a framework of reference where we wouldn't expect to see uh, strong familial bonds. So you have Burt Reynolds as the father, you have Julianne Moore as the mother and they even say these kind of roles very explicitly in yeah. the film when they're getting high and off their, off their, right. you know, Heather Graham uh, says, call me mom. Or, yes. Can I call you mom? Can I call you mom? Yeah. It's poked mom. out of your brain, but they, but the, the film holds together. Um, and in a, in a strange way for me, it holds together more than Goodfellas does um, in that sense, because it is, it has got this like singular strong idea that holds every scene together. Um, and, and I, I think that, you know, and then and then the things like Don Cheadle's side story, are he's kind of like what's amazing about that if you sort of view it as a as in in mm -hmm. in those references as a film about family, he's kind of this brother character that gets his own entire story that has almost no connection to the main narrative, but is given as much respect and as much um, uh, sincerity as every other story in this film. Um, so I love it for that sort of the audacity of doing a film like this as your second movie. I love it for the audacity of like um, taking the idea of making a film as lurid uh, a about the porn industry and doing it seriously, doing it like doing it with with conviction and kind of love, you know, for these characters, which is not something you would expect um, of this film. Like I could imagine uh, had this not been produced by Lawrence Bender, um, that that they might have been like. Oh, you want to make a film about the porn industry? Okay, as long as we get, you know, a couple of sex scenes that are going to bring people into the uh, into the mm -hmm. theaters, you know, as long as you get 
a couple of those kinds of scenes and then then you know you're good but i don't think he ever goes for that and um no i don't think he does and and the other well and what's amazing about that is the way this film is blocked and and put together is so complex and and so complicated that you you have to have a producer and a production team and everyone on board who kind of believe that okay we're gonna do this like uh, we're gonna do this like uh, porno parody scene right now you know like they, they do all these sequences where they remake some of the movies or make you know like these these porno parodies um, but there there are the film is not it's not like the naked gun or anything like that. And it's not just, uh, you know, trying to titillate the audience. Those mm -hmm. scenes are about, you know, these different family members coming together and forming relationships. And, and even though, you know, like the movie is really funny. That, that's one thing I always forget <laughs> about. This movie. It's, it's a really funny, funny movie. Um, but it has a serious heart to it. And it's, and it's got something that it really is wanting to say. And it gets dark. And um, I think yeah. for all of those reasons, the, the sort of layers of complexity that this film has, while being entertaining and while being something that's like really fun to watch, is, is, is what makes it stand well out of its time. Even though, you know, you can really, you know, like uh, a more cynical film go would go, oh, he's just doing, you know, a Goodfellas impersonation. Um, it's, it's, it's much, much more than that. But so it's it, also, it, I agree with everything you said. I feel like it also deals with the universal theme, the American dream, that these are all people who want more for their lives. Yeah, yeah. And, and there's that universe, kind of that universality in it, and that it's not just a fun, dirty look into, you know, the, the seedy underworld in L.A., which that's been done before. But that, like I said, you care about these characters. I respected the characters when... One of my favorite parts is when um, Burt Reynolds is talking about, he's like, I don't want to just make a porn flick. I want to do something important. I want to have a story. And it's so, and yeah. I feel we're all kind of artistic people and that you do, that you understand that you want to create something important. You want to raise your life and do something better, like, which is how you connect to Buck is because you're like, good for him, you know? Mm. And just yeah. how hard the lifestyle is. But it is funny, but not, but in a very natural way. Yeah. And, right. you, and you, you laugh, but it's sad, but in a sad kind of a way, like when um, Mark Wahlberg gets his whole like apartment and all of his shirts and he's dancing. He's Genuine like, oh, imported Italian. Really Italian yeah. prints and all that stuff. And you're looking at it. And again, you're, you're judging him because you're like, that is the tackiest thing <laughs> I've ever seen, but it's all, and you kind of laugh a little bit at how important and wonderful he thinks everything is and we know that it's not right. so you kind of laugh at first but then you feel really sad <laughs> yeah. because you're like to him this is his like wow look at all my <laughs> yeah. shirt yeah, and, and, and we don't remember that Mar uh, Dirk is like 17 18 at this point he's just a kid so he's gonna he's gonna love like, I remember I remember looking at his room you had uh, you know, all the, the car posters the, the girls in bikinis posters and oh, going like yeah, I remember. I remember being that. Yeah, and you're like, okay, I, there's a, a, a character there that I think certainly uh, I can relate to. Shahir can probably relate to. Just like, yeah, he's, he's he's this kid. But I want to I want to go back to that. It's a look at the '70s porn industry, often called the golden age of 
the the pornography industry you can probably talk and read about it in the the deuce or whatever see that show uh, but it is not uh, it is not a it's not a porno it does have some sex scenes in it and that's great and it does treat its characters seriously it treats them like real artists in this case i remember like the conversation between burt reynolds and marky mark about how i want to make a i want to make an important movie i have had that conversation with <laughs> every person I've ever embarked on a collaboration with all during film school. I think we talked more than we made movies, but it didn't matter because like, I, I can understand like, these are people who this is, this is their medium of choice and they're going to elevate it as high as they can, which unfortunately does not make it mean. I don't think it can go as high as they might want to. It's not, we're not going to turn out some award winning, like serious award winning, winning stuff here, but that drive to be better is, uh, I think a, a, a way to a way that this transcends just the oh it's it's that movie about the you know porno with Mark Wahlberg who has the the big dick right it's it's it no it's more than it's about people creating it's people coming together and creating and it treats them with seriousness one of my favorite scenes is uh, you have Ricky Jay and William H Macy William H Macy's wife is getting banged by a dude in the back everybody's watching and Ricky Jay is like it's yeah we need to, it's like we need to talk about the the film. Like, well, you know, uh, Jack's going for a minimalist looks like, yeah, but minimalist usually means maximal tech tech. And we're going to have to like buy some film and lights and and all this is happening. You're like, I have had this, like the, these, these are still people. They are making a movie. The subject matter happens to be people fucking, but there, there are lights, there are sound, there are all sorts of, you still have to have all of the things for a movie about it. And I, and as someone who has shot on film, or someone who shot on on video, I really appreciate that it treat it treated them not as not necessarily all as as, as sleaze bags, but just as like okay, we have this, we have this part to us. We're, we're making the titillation, but we are also we have to frame the shots. We need to get the makeup just right, et cetera. That it uh, it really it really survives, and I think kids nowadays in film school could watch this and still learn a thing or two despite nobody using film in, in film school these days, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Do, uh, I was wondering, do you think, um, do you think Jack and Dirk ever did achieve, do you think the Brock Landers spy <laughs> series, I think it was Brock Landers like three or four or something, do you think that's, that's the work that people are going to remember Jack for? Do you think they ever, do you th- did anyone make their ideals? Did anyone, did anyone, did anyone transcend they're uh, the fact that they are porn actors or porn makers in this movie. Hell with that. Yeah, they did. Because okay. if you notice later on with that new young guy coming up through the ranks, they basically do like a ripoff of the Brock Landers movie. The interesting th- thing, I think the film does touch on this, but but I'm I'm sort of I'm always curious about how the film manages to skirt around the issue around exploitation and pornography. And it, you could argue the, the sort of main criticism of this film from a theoretical hmm. point of view is why it doesn't take a stronger look at like the exploitative behavior of pornography, which is something that you know like is talked about a lot more now. Right. Um, and this film is kind of more of a loving portrait of of the industry. Now, well, I, well, I think well, I, th- I think it's largely more it's. It's it's a movie about creating like creating your own family out of the, the this island of misfit toys that happens to be set on an island of porn 
makers yeah. more or less so like i like i i think the fact that it's a porn a porno is it's about the porn industry is like is is a hook but it's not necessarily about the porn industry when you dig deeper it's about it's it's more about reinventing yourself it's about finding it's about finding your own family and losing right. them and then gaining them back again uh in a, in a way that i think would unnecessary if you were to talk about the exploitation it would be it could be good and pta could certainly make it work but it would be a bit outside of the scope of the story he is yeah, trying to tell been, it might dilute the waters here it would have been a movie about porn yeah right. instead of a movie that just happened to have porn in it um, yeah it's, it's still yet it very subtly shows the degrade <laughs> degradation degradation yeah and exploitation because you look at roller girl like she's still in high school yeah and that's weird you know what i mean that like people that she goes to school with are watching her do this and william h macy like it doesn't gloss over what his life was like and oh god the scene another one of those painful funny lines but it makes you feel bad for laughing when his wife he walks in on his wife having sex with the other guy and she's like just go away. You're embarrassing me. And you're like, and you laugh, but then you're yeah. like, oh my gosh, oh, yeah. this is something right. And you're like, so something's bad's going to happen to them eventually. And something does. And it very clearly shows the downside of it without being so heavy handed. Yeah, I think that's fair. And there's you know even, what I'm saying? it shows even, humans, but not yeah. as just yeah. puppets yeah. to show, oh, it's bad. It's bad. You know, relationships get ruined and. I think in a similar way to like the way the social network really isn't about technology. It's about yeah. people around the technology. Right. I think that's the way this film operates as well. And I think um, that, yeah, I agree that that's what it works. I, I'm just suggesting, you know, like I want to kind of make sure we throw in some, uh, some counter arguments here. Oh, yeah. And my, my counter argument would be something on the lines that, that maybe the film glosses over the implicit exploitation that's happening to some yeah. of these characters. Um, but, but I still think, as a as a loving portrait of a family that comes together, that's of people, you know, misfits trying to reinvent themselves. I think it still works. And the and the one key indicator there as well um, is something that happens at the beginning and the end of the film. Um, uh, P.T. Anderson inserts this theme that was written for the film, and he says he wanted the film to kind of feel like a circus act. These are a, a troupe of circus performers that all come together, that live and breathe around each other as mm performers um I like that. and you know I, and i i think if you kind of again if you read the sort of metaphor like that then and i i think the metaphor even plays directly again it's it's very much about these characters all trying to find the their family members and and how their family members work um within this film because they all they're all they've all been abandoned by their families um they've all been you know kind of swept under the rug Ju uh, julianne moore you know i think Arguably, you know, if you if you think about what the the reasons she's lost her son, kind of is now struggling to find a new son, uh, right. or trying to find a new new children, and and the film is kind of more about that relationship than it is about um, um, than it is about the exploitations of the pornography industry. Um, but it, I guess in that respect as well, it's like the the you know coming back to your initial question of like why do you keep watching this is like. I can't imagine this film getting made <laughs> ever again. You know, like I can't imagine 
any like this movie was made for fifteen million dollars, and I think it eventually made like twenty six million in, in total. Um, so I can't imagine anyone putting up fifteen million dollars to make this movie again at this point. Megan Ellison of Annapurna, I'm sure, has got your uh, I think it would, it would have to be more like Shahir said and make it more about the exploitation and death, yeah. especially especially of women. Right. And be a... I don't think that's as a woman. I don't think that's necessarily a good thing. Right. I this... think that this is a really good job. I because I because this is what feels like the first time watching this for me again because it's been so long. I have never been more uncomfortable in a movie than uh, when uh, John C. Riley, Mark Wahlberg, and Thomas Jane are at Alfred Molina's house, and you have that person. <laughs> Lighting off firecrackers. I'm just going. Oh, Jesus! Oh, Jesus! It's it's. You're it's, 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 I'm just like I'd like something like there are going to be fireworks happening here, but I just don't know when. It's brilliant filmmaking, and just to see them at the like they are here at the bottom. They are like trying to scam this crazy guy with a bunch of ble- like uh, was it bleach or flour or something, and yeah. it just all goes wrong. Like and it like and you. And like I'm, I'm really worried about. I'm even worried about Thomas Jane and his ridiculous facial hair in this yeah. one. And it didn't, it didn't, and that wasn't a. I mean, it's such a brilliantly shot thing, but it's not glossy. It didn't show them as like they strut in and they've got their gun. You know what I mean? It shows them as these people who have no idea what they're doing. Right. And the one shot that I thought was really brave was just that long extended shot on Mark Wahlberg. Mm. Yeah, when he's he's Just thinking like, face, and he's looking around, and the things are going off, and he's kind of jumping a little bit, and then John C. Riley keeps kind of whispering, and you just see like the corner of his face, right? And just and- you do, you feel so like edge of your seat, and then this is every time I watch it. I can't imagine what it must have been like if you hadn't seen it in seventeen years, like edge of my seat. I know it's going to happen, but it's still every time those explosives go off. Yeah. Oh, it, so it, it's insane. The- there's some there's some funny little tidbits about that about that scene. Uh, again, I love uh, listening to the commentary of of how this film got made. And one of the things P.T. Anderson talked about was how that scene didn't really work until they got on set and the firecrackers were going off. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like it was this thing that you know the scene was kind of just these guys. Essentially, essentially it was a it's a scene about a bunch of guys high on coke talking about music, and and then it's the firecrackers that really escalates what's happening in that scene um the another another little tidbit is the firecracker guy cosmo is based off a character that was in uh, a movie uh called putney swope uh which was directed by robert downey senior who's also in this movie uh robert downey senior plays the record executive who um marky mark and um john c Riley are trying to Get their oh, music that's from, oh yeah that's, that's robert downey senior who directed putney swope who had the character by the name of uh uh wing sony i think it was uh who was who basically goes into a meeting and just lights firecrackers off in the middle of this meeting um and then a third little tidbit that i always just find really fun to think about as well is that that shot that you mentioned the one that's just that really long take of mark Wahlberg's face was the reason tom cruise called uh um P.T. Anderson up and said, hey, write me a movie. He's, apparently it was, it was that the execution of that whole scene, but that one shot of Mark Wahlberg's face where we kind of see the range of emotions about what he's feeling, where he's like, he's sitting there going, how have I gotten myself into this situation? What is my life about now? 
this, and, and then he's kind of, he kind of like cracks a smile as though it's like there is just funny. a sort of comic absurdity to everything that's happening right now. It kind of like adds all these layers to like this pretty dynamic scene already, but it kind of adds a little commentary outside of it. Mm-hmm. And apparently, uh, so the story goes, Tom Cruise just loved that scene and, and particularly that shot because I think it also it demonstrated a dedication to uh, in the midst of all the chaos, there was like a dedication to performance and character. Right. And so he said to him, you know, like, hey, write me a part and let's see where it goes. And he ended up writing him, you know, Frank T.J. Mackey from Magnolia based on that one scene. Right, that's one of one of, one of Cruz's best roles. roles. Definitely. Yeah, Tom Cruise's best role. Yeah. yeah. So. And, and also nominated for an Academy Award for, for that particular role. Uh, Phenomenal. I, if, I, 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 honestly, I would, and that one, one shot, I don't want to harp, keep harping on that shot, but it's just it's a great shot. It reminded me of uh, some Nicholson shots that we've talked about recently in um, One Floor of the Cuckoo's Nest. The window is open and Nicholson can go, but he's just, the camera's just resting on him and he's like mulling over his options. I, 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 I had a very, uh, I had a very uh, Milos Forman esque like vibe from that, from that one shot right. amongst hey, all the hey, chaos. Hey, the Al Pacino shot of when he's about to kill the cop and the guy when he goes in the bathroom. Oh, yeah. The Godfather. The Godfather. Yeah. You know, you know that movie? <laughs> you know, whatever. It's fine. <laughs> and he, and he's just looking at the camera. And you know, it's the same, like, where's my life going? I didn't want to do this. Those great. And it takes such a good actor, which is why, yes, Mark Wahlberg 100% should have been nominated yeah. for Best Actor. He's great. He's great. All right, moving on to something a, a little more fun. Uh, the soundtrack in this. Yeah. Um, Amy, I know you like American Hustle, and it's got a great 70s soundtrack. Uh, this has got an amazing soundtrack. I, uh, is, it, is, it ever, is it ever just too much, actually? Are you ever going, all right, I, I get it. We are at a pool party. We don't need all of the biggest hits of the 70s. Or do you, do you, you, just, you just roll with it? You guys just roll with it. I roll with it. This is a movie that he does such a good job taking you on this ride that you're swept up in it. And who's going to complain about Three Dog Night? Who's going to be like, oh, this is a little excessive? I'm like, no, turn it up. Because that's <laughs> what we be at the party. These are people that party all the time. So you're supposed to kind exhausting. of feel exhausted at the end of it. Yes. It is exhausting, but but that's their life. And two of the reminiscence of the... um. That scene that we just talked about with Goodfellas and how similar they are, that final third act of Goodfellas where Henry Hill's high in the helicopter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think it's a and, Nielsen song, yeah. And then there's all that those quick cuts and it makes you I've never been on cocaine, so I would have to guess that that sort of makes you feel the adrenaline rush. But it's very similar and bravo and not and not a ripoff. Goodfellas, just similar. I, I think the reason why it works is that the music in this film aren't just needle drops. They're not like they're not just going, okay, and here's the song to accompany the scene. Right. They're actually completely integrated within the scene. Or in the cases of the the musical montages, they're they're kind of rhythmically connected to what's being done in the montage as well. So it never the music never feels like it's just a needle drop where. I see. The thing is, is I don't actually sit and listen to the music in this film. I kind of think about how the music is a character in the story and is part of everything that's happening. Um, you know, like it, it's the music is just as important as how much co- cocaine 
uh, Mark uh, Dirk Diggler is snorting and how the montage, you know, like how right. his ele elevation is going. So there's a real sense that, that that the movie is deeply integrated with the music, which is why I think it really works. And then and then that scene with Anf Alfred Molina uh, when they play, you know, they turn out to Jesse's girl. Um, <laughs> Ricky's you know, great like film. He's, he's, he, you know, like we already get a sense of like how much the music matters to him. He talks about the tape, you know, like making his own, you know, his own mixtape. And he hates it when people tell him how he has to do something. So it's, it's his own song, you know, in the order that he wants it in. And Jesse's girl is a song about someone wanting something they don't have. And, you know, like it's, we, we see the rhythm of the whole scene kind of like, Tick over when the tape changes sides. It's just it's oh, when it stops. Yeah, yeah, and we just pause. Everyone's like, oh, yeah, okay. And it flips over, and then Jesse's girl starts. It's so, and and that's the montage that that's the song that plays over that revelation from from Dirk Diggler when he's like, what am I doing with my life, kind of right. thing. It's like, what uh, what, it's, what, do, what do I want that I can't have right now? And you're like, oh, yeah. it, it it makes sense. Yeah, it's yeah. it. it, it a lot of a lot of songs in movies, they will play the song because oh, that's a popular song. You know the song. You have an association outside of it, yeah. outside of the film, and so you get to have this like warm fuzzy, be like, yeah, I love, uh, I love Sister. Christ I mean, I love, I love, you know, Sister Christian, Night Ranger, and Tesla, and all that. Uh, anyways, but like here, but here it's like I'm going to associate Sister Christian with this scene. And Ninety Nine yeah. Love Balloons has been used a lot of times before, but it's kind of like this is a Boogie Nights song. Now, yeah, really, it, it, it works. It, 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 it integrates it very well. With Mama Told Me Not to Come by Three Dog Night, I can't. Yeah. Every time I hear that song, I think of that movie. I think, oh, of, I think of the trailer to Supernova for that movie, but that is and neither <laughs> here nor there. Living <laughs> Thing by ELO. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, that so good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, now, uh, coming, coming to the end, I know we could, because we could talk about this movie. Uh, Probably all day, but I got a uh, baby who's awake, <laughs> awake in the other room. Uh, uh, is the is the end? Would you describe the ending to this film as a happy one? Do you think everyone is 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 happy at the end with with Mark Wahlberg pulling his uh, his best uh, Robert De Niro from Raging Bull? Like, is it is or do we do we feel do we feel happy for these characters at the end? Amy. It's happy because there's definitely a change. I feel more like there's a resignation and acceptance mm. that it's just, this is how it is. And one of the things that is such a subtle scene, and I'm kind of embarrassed to notice this, but that porn's changed. And one of the things is, is in the seventies when they were shooting it, Julianne Moore's body is very natural. It's not mm. enhanced. She's small chested. Then at the end, when they're shooting the new one, the mm. two actresses in the hot tub are very surgically enhanced. Yes. Yeah. I'll put it that way. <laughs> and that, that little shot for me really stands out as far as everything's changing. It's not going to be about the story anymore. It's not going to be about natural looking people. It's going to be about fake and it's just going to be about the money shot. Right. Mm -hmm. And that that's just how it's going to be, period. And so, you know, she doesn't, it's not happy. It's happy for Buck. Mm. He's sort of going on and he's, because he really worked to get out of it. But even with Roller Girl, I got the feeling that she's not going to finish this test. She's not going to stay in school. Yeah. Because you see her sort of drifting off while she's trying to take her test. And that to me wasn't, oh good, she's back in school. She's going to take the GED. To me, yeah. it was 
she's been so far out there that I think to come back and be a regular person at a regular job is going to be next to impossible for her. Yeah. But it's for Dirk because Dirk's kind of back in the loop a little. Is it? Is it good for Dirk? A little I mean, bit, you know. Be happy for Dirk. And Julianne Moore's directing, so maybe she'll parlay that into something. So there's a little bit of like, oh, that's nice, but I definitely don't feel a happy ending. I just feel like it's a change, and this is what happens to these people that you you don't go away. You keep going for good or for bad. Yeah. Here, same question. I think, uh, I think the yeah, it's kind of in the same vein. I think there's a um, the movie is so much about highs and lows, um, where the the highs of the cocaine filled 80s are so extreme, and then the lows of the Wonderland murder are so low that what happens at the end is you just kind of reach an equilibrium where there's a balance achieved, and we don't really know how long it's going to last, we don't really know whether these characters are going to go off and how long you're going to stay together as a family. But we know that they've kind of achieved uh, a sort of sense and understanding of equilibrium at this particular moment. You know, like we've all come back together. And that's, that's that kind of thing where I, uh, I'm, I'm sort of in awe of this film of having such a sort of loose, unusual narrative structure where things aren't, you know, the, 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 the scene at the end doesn't really connect to any scene at the beginning. It's, it, there's not an overarching sort of, narrative through line through this movie. It's just about finding this balance of family um, that they kind of get to at the end. And that's what I think I kind of um, uh, like about it. It's also like one of the most, in a film filled with so many extreme scenes, it's just a nice calm way to get us out of the movie. Um, and then there's, you know, the revelation, well, not the revelation, but the final shot <laughs> is kind of, it, it, it's kind of, a sort of a commentary on the money shot because you, I remember when we went to see this movie, I saw this in a theater um, the first time I saw it. And I remember the re cause I didn't know who Paul Thomas Anderson was. Uh, I didn't know much about how good the film was, but we knew that at the end of the movie, you got to see the cock. And so, and so at the end of the movie, you get to see the cock and it's like, Oh, this is the re you know, like this is the reason this whole film exists is because of this one uh, you know, like human genitalia is, is, is that's what's propelled this whole thing forward. And I think that's kind of charming and ironic and funny and weird and profound all at the same time is just to see this thing and be like, oh, yeah, okay, that's what it is. Um, and it's, it's, Very, I, yeah. I tipped my head to this side. It was like, oh, yeah. Wow. I mean, my running joke whenever me and my wife watch it is I always turn to her and go, it's not that big. Uh, <laughs> So it was uh, uh, again not having seen it in a while. I you know saw that and was like okay okay, and then the you know, it was a smash cut to the to black and I was like, oh wait there's not more movie. Why isn't there any more movie? I want yeah. I want more movie. What happens? Like something like tell me like how what happens? To these oh it was uh, it was so it was initially jarring. It was initially jarring like the way the Sopranos ending was jarring. But then I go no no that's that's. That's that's how you that's how you end something right there. That's that's solid work. Uh, and absolutely. how he starts the music as he's getting up and he does a little kung fu music and then it cuts to black on the part where the song like right it comes really really oh crescendo. it's so it's oh it's so good it's yeah, so yeah, good yeah but to uh, but but to, to go back to the question I was thinking about it, and like you 
I did frame the qu question the wrong way because you actually you answered it like in uh, very eloquently to talk about equilibrium because it's not about change. These are still the they're the same characters, but they just can't operate really without this family, and so they all sort of gravitate back towards one another. They, you know, they all gravitate essentially towards Jack and Amber. Amber's still just the foxiest bitch. And done a little directing. Jack's still making these movies. Dirk still is just uh, he's just a porn actor, but the resignation there, that's the word you used, is uh, something I think we can all relate to when, some, when like you can try something. You can try to be a singer. Yeah. You know what? Maybe this, is, maybe this is the one gift, the one talent. Everybody's got one talent, and I'm just going to ride this thing out until I literally cannot ride it out. And there, that's, that's okay. Maybe it's not the best. Maybe it's not cinematic in the way that you want Dirk to pull a Rob Lowe and he was in who was in porn and then became Rob Lowe the famous actor and you're like okay that wouldn't that be great but that's I think that, that would not be the story that we are PTA is trying to tell false it would have it would have rang it would have rang so false because it's about it's about him finding it's about him finding his 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 people here and his people are are porn actors and porn makers and and whatnot all right we come now to the end It'll probably be a part two of Boogie Nights. Uh, so, did Boogie Nights deserve to be nominated for Best Picture, part one? Second, did Boogie Nights, should it have been nominated, deserve to have won Best Picture in 1997? We will start with Amy. Yes, it should have been nominated. And yes, it was the Best Picture of that year. Nice. <clears throat> I see why the other movies were nominated. This is for me, like high art, <clears throat> as good as it gets, as much as I love it. And it is on the Amy Thomas and top 100. It's not high art. This movie is to me what high art is. It elevates, it, it makes you look at your preconceived notions of things. It makes you question things that you were taught to believe mm -hmm. and you yet you can still relate to it. The themes, the stories, the characters, all top notch. All top notch. Okay. Solid. I understand why it wouldn't have been nominated, though. But, Just, I mean, to be fair, there was another movie about a bunch of guys coming together, taking their clothes off for money, that was nominated for Best Picture that year. No, <laughs> I know, I know, I know it's different. But if you stretch the, no, if you stretch the definition out, I, I was just noting, like, wait, there were there was some male nudity in a in a movie that was nominated for Best Picture that year. Hmm, what's the difference? Movie about down and out people, though, coming yeah. together, trying to in desperation. Yeah. Uh, yes, uh, Shahir. Boogie Nights, best uh, picture that year? I think this is where I kind of uh, divert from uh, the entire ethos of this of this podcast, <laughs> which is that I, I mean, I find, um, I, I try, I, I don't think a lot too much about um, about what was nominated and what didn't get nominated and what, you know, like sticks with you and what doesn't stick with you. Um, I because Because ultimately it's like, you know, I, I think maybe I'm a little bit more cynical about this where it's like, the awards are the awards, and they're they're governed not by artistic integrity. And even if they were, what would it mean for one picture to be the best picture over others when they're when movies aren't you know graded on a scale like that? So I know that's more uh, uh, meta to the actual podcast. We've uh, talked about I, that many could, times. Yeah, <laughs> I could entirely see it being nominated. I could entirely see it win best picture. I'm not uh, mad or upset that it didn't. Um, it, it, what I think for me the bitter 
the metric that I kind of think about more is which of these films do I think about more uh, the, the further away I get from these awards. And to me, the three films that I think about most are L.A. Confidential, uh, Good Will Hunting, As Good As It Gets, and Boogie Nights. And, and Boogie Nights is certainly the one I've seen the most out of all of those. <laughs> Um, so with, but then, you know, like I, I think I've said this on my podcast as well as like sometimes winning the award is kind of, uh, a final full stop on that movie. And right. it's, and you know, like, uh, we, we've had this conversation on our podcast that if it wins the award, you know, much like say spotlight or moonlight, uh, for example, those are great, great movies. But once they've won Best Picture, it's like there's not a lot more conversation to be had around it right. uh, because it's like, oh, it was the Best Picture. What else can you say? Um, so sometimes winning the award isn't the best thing for it. And, and, and I think in this case, not winning much uh, is actually kind of in favor for Boogie Nights because we talk about it more for that reason. I don't know. That's sort of a weird way to think about it. But No, but that's, no, that's, you know, no, that's perfect. We uh, It's... Definitely a thing. For instance, we talk, you know, Driving Miss Daisy won the award for Best Picture. Yeah. Do the Right Thing was nominated for Screenplay, Supporting Actor, much like Boogie Nights. We talk about Do the Right Thing way more. And usually when we mention Driving Miss Daisy, it's only the movie that, for won whatever reason, won Best Picture. And it's it's actually a mark against it. Whereas, yeah. whereas I know Amy is upset about Titanic winning, like, but I do understand, like, I would like I under I, I get why that would win and like it winning best picture it does feel right just given when you take when you when you take in all of the cultural things that were happening I think it was like the seventy fifth anniversary of the sinking itself you go yeah, yeah. all right I, I get that it's not because unfortunately it's not just about artistic merit or else a film like this would win every single year and that would be that'd be amazing yeah. this is a it's a a very well written film very well put together film. I do. I kind of also understand why it wasn't nominated for best picture. Yeah, I do. But at the same time, we've had uh, now we've had fish sex in uh, best picture winners. We've had severed heads being thrown over walls and ghost armies and best best picture winners. So who's to say what is best picture material or not? Uh, not for us. We just comment on what they what they have done. But I would nominate this film for best picture. I like the full Monty. I would probably take the full Monty out because I just like the other four film better um and i'm sure we will talk about boogie nights in the future one one quick question do they show the full monty in the full monty i can't remember no no they don't it's just it's it's covered it's covered by uh mike stands right at the end i think they turn it no i think they they turn turn it around and see them from behind and you see them they have the hats yeah see them around and then it freeze frames on them throwing Sorry, throwing the hats up. Okay, yes. So the irony is, is that the, the the film that actually showed the full Monty wasn't nominated <laughs> <laughs> for a movie that's got it in its title. There was one movie that did show the full Monty at the very end, and it is connected that way. Wait. Yes, we well we like we like that we like making the connections here on the show. You have been listening to the Oscar Watch podcast. We'd like to thank Shahir Dowd from the only podcast about movies for joining us for this conversation, which. We can come on and we'll, when, whenever we talk about another 1997 movie, we'll be talking about this movie again. Shahir, thank you so much for joining us. Where can folks 
find you. What have you guys been up to over at uh, Only Only Movie? Uh, we have been doing. Uh, we've had a grab bag of requests that we've been trying to fulfill for the last uh, three years. So we've been <laughs> filling those requests recently. So I think uh, a really fun episode we just did was the before sunset, yes. before sunrise, before midnight trilogy. My and favorite had, trilogy uh, of all time. Yeah. Well, uh, we had three couples: uh, myself, uh, Matt, and his partner, and. Um, uh, Francesca um, and Patrick from Last Name Basis um, oh. on the uh, podcast to basically look at really those nice. three films from from uh, the point of view of three different couples at three different stages of their relationship. And I think that was a lot of fun. Um, and, you know, a- as usual, we're gas bagging about movies that are coming out. And then we're trying, I-, I think we're trying to, um, we would love to, I think, expand into more difficult to find films as well. Um, so if you have something that you would like us to review or if you kind of are interested in the way we talk about movies, our goal on the only podcast about movies is to not actually <laughs> for a review podcast. We say we don't want to review movies. We want to uh, we want to try and continue the conversation that the movie begins. Um, yeah. And that's kind of our philosophy on how to look at a film. Uh, but you can find all of our episodes at www. Uh, onlymoviepodcast.com or you can hit us up on Twitter at onlymoviepod and you can find all of my life and works as a filmmaker at uh, www.shahirdaud.com that's uh, S-H-A-H-I-R-D-A-U-D.com Okay and Amy where can folks find you if they want to continue the conversation? On our Facebook page or at athomason11 on Twitter. Yes, and you can find us on social media at Oscar Watch Pod, and do write us an email. We uh, are doing something in December. We announced it. We were going to announce it uh, this week on a previous episode that got pushed back, but because of the death of Burt Reynolds, we are recording this one. In December, we are sending out a gift to you, and that is our reader request month. So, if you have a film that is nominated for best picture one best picture or you think really should have been nominated for best picture write us an email with your thoughts and your argument as to why and if we like it we are going to review it in december our gift to you getting it out there early so everyone can participate love to hear what uh what you think we should talk about and we would love to talk about it and that email is oscarwatchpodcast at gmail.com and we thank you so much next week regularly scheduled program a reader request five easy pieces nice the great jack nicholson uh we recorded that one it's a great episode can't wait for you to listen to it shahir thank you so much for coming on and talking about this wonderful movie i hope to have this conversation with you again and again and again many times (laughs) about this film and the works of pt uh anderson in the future as well so thank you so much and folks and until next time we'll see you on the red carpet you got the touch you got the power